0: Uh, I want to bless you today in Jesus' name, from the ancient of days, the fire that burned in the bush and yet was not consumed, and introduced himself to Moses as the I am that I am, the great I am, and uh, in Jesus Christ, who was, who is, and who is to come, who taught us that... um, Things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So I just want to say, bless you on this day of possibilities, and as we begin a new series today about worldview, we're going to be talking about who you are, where you are, and how you can make your next move forward. Who we are where we are, and then how are we to make our journey through life. Those things matter, don't they? Maybe you're familiar with map drawings, like at a hospital or a mall, and it's got this red arrow indicator with the words, you are here. Well, that's kind of what we're doing in the series. We're going to say, here's where we are. Or maybe you've seen this one, a photo image from space of our galaxy with the arrow indicator pointing to earth, I believe, saying, you are here. Unfortunately, the restrooms are over there, why Saturn looks like, so that could be a challenge but knowing who you are where you are and how you are making your move forward in life makes a big difference doesn't it I tell you it'll make a difference in the big game today I guarantee you somebody is going to be aware of who's on the field every moment of where they are on the field every moment of where they are on the clock and then how they're going to make it from where they are to where they want to be the plays that are going to be called so that they can achieve The mission at hand. Get into the end zone. It matters, doesn't it? And not just in games. Matters in life. Matters in business. Matters in relationships. Is this going anywhere? Matters in marriage. Matters in parenting. It matters in life. Knowing who you are, where you are, and how to move forward toward your goal. Now, in the Bible, 1 Chronicles chapter 12 has a, uh, a roll call of some armed warriors from the 12 tribes of Israel that David is now assuming command of as power transitions from King Saul to his leadership. And there's a very telling comment in verse 32. The men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel had to do. The New Living Translation puts it like this. These men understood the signs of the times... And they knew the best course Israel was to take. It's so important to know then and now who you are, where you are, and how you're going to make your move forward. What is the best course of action to make your move forward? So in this series, what we're going to be doing is taking a look at the times, the signs of the times, in light of who we are, and then we're going to be asking, where are we and how? Can we move forward as God's people in our world right now? And to get there, we're going to be using a mind map. I said mind map. Mind map is, uh, is those who study such things would call it a worldview. Um, Jesus taught that we are to love God with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. And that means that we're going to engage our thinking just as the men of Issachar understood their times and then knew what they needed to do next. A worldview is going to inform our way forward. The worldview is a basic vision of life. Dr. Sire, James Sire, is a long respected scholar and educator, former senior editor of InterVarsity Press, highly respected press. His book, The Universe Next Door, is a classic in this field. And it, this is the fifth edition of the book. Over, it's been taught as a text in over 100 colleges and universities. And here's his definition. He says, a worldview is the fundamental perspective from which one addresses every issue in life. It's the, a foundation on which we live. It's a story we tell. It's the presuppositions we hold about what is most real in life. A worldview is the lens through which you make sense out of your world. And so in his book, Naming the Elephant, he notes this, the basic role of a worldview, quote, is to present the relationship of the human mind to the riddle of the world and life. You ever ask yourself, how does this make sense? How does it all fit together? That's the st- a worldview is the storyline that helps you make sense out of life. And the Bible offers a very clear storyline to help us know who we are, where we are, and how we are to make our journey through life as Christ followers. And if you're not a Christ follower, I want to welcome you in and invite you to engage your thinking with us as well. As you're checking it out and then evaluating your own worldview. And then maybe seeing where the differences are and where the difference could be made for you as well. The Bible's clear storyline starts the story with these words. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, time out. Why would any thinking person want to believe that? That's the kind of question we're going to be asking as we get into the series. And I hope to give some answers along the way. Dr. John Lennox, uh, the powerful intellectual from Oxford University who we were privileged to have with us a few years back, He spoke to us on the relationship of faith and science, in case you're trying to remember. He begins his little book, Seven Days That Divide the World, with those same words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he says this, these majestic words introduce the most translated, the most printed, and the most read book in all of history. And then he goes on to explain that the controversy right now about that very thing is at an all-time high. Remember the men of Issachar, they understood the times. Well, he says the time right now, all-time high. The debate about teaching creationism and evolution, and then most of all, he says, the popular perception of Christianity as unscientific or even anti-scientific because of the Genesis account, the words that I just read. And this is a matter that he has actively debated with those who call themselves the new atheists, including Richard Dawkins. Now, my purpose in bringing it up today is to help us see and then appreciate, one thing, what's going on in our times, but also the level of scholarship that has already engaged in this issue. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because some of you, I know, are gonna to wanna to dig deeper And I would like for you to know some trustworthy authors and some books that you could check out that could help you be like the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. And then also to help you understand why those words, Genesis 1-1, are so significant in helping us know who we are, where we are, And how we are to make our journey forward in this world, in our day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let's just start by saying how very different. How very different from other creation and God stories, from other cultures of antiquity. Okay, let's just start there. Very different. Traditional authorship is ascribed to uh, Moses from scholarship even though he's never mentioned in the book of Genesis, uh, he has long been referred to, Genesis has long been referred to as the first of five of the books of Moses, the Torah. Maybe you've heard it referred to that way. And if he wrote it, then that means it would have happened somewhere between 1500 and 1300 BC. Okay. And what a polytheistic world that was. I mean, the Egyptians, you've read of their culture. These, The Egyptian culture worshipped hundreds and thousands of gods. They had gods for anything that you could name. They had the god of the underworld. They had the god of the dead. They had the god of chaos. They had the god of fertility, the god of war. The god, uh, just gods, up to a thousand of them. Uh, they depicted them in hieroglyphics. You've seen images of these, of a human body with different animal heads, the head of a hawk, the head of a cat, the head of a jackal, the head of a beetle, a scarab. They had a snake god. Pharaoh himself was considered to be god on earth. The plagues of uh, Exodus chapter 7 through 12, did you know this? The plagues was really uh, a showdown between the gods. The key gods of Egypt and Yahweh God of the Hebrews who had revealed himself, they said, of of Israel, they said that God revealed himself to them as the one true and living God. The sun god, Ra, was one of the chief gods of Egypt. But here's what the Hebrews said, our God made the sun the one true God made the sun, made the moon, made the cosmos. I mean, that's where their story began in the beginning. God. Now, these are two very different stories. I'm not asking you which one you're picking yet. I'm just telling you, would you agree with me that these are not the same story? They are two very different, distinct stories about what is considered most real in life. Monotheism, the belief that there is one God and all others are false, that the cosmos and everything in it that we call real are God's creation, including human beings. This is the claim of the story. And that all human beings bear the divine image of their creator. Now, this is very different from the stories of polytheism that were popular in their day. Let me tell you another one. Babylonians. The ancient Babylonians had another story. You know what it said? They were also very polytheistic. Lots of gods. Many gods. The Babylonian creation story went like this. It's called the Enumu Elish. According to the story, there was a battle that took place in the Babylonian pantheon of the gods, between the gods at the beginning of history. The god Marduk fought to death the sea goddess Tiamat, and then her lover, Kinju, who joined her in a takeover attempt of the pantheon. After killing uh, Tiamat, Marduk then uh, split her body in two and used the top half to create the sky and the heavens and the lower half to create the earth. Then, now this is a very different story, isn't it? Then to populate the earth and to tend the earth, humans were made from the blood of the dead god Kinju to be cheap slave labor, to do the dirty work on earth that the lower gods didn't want to do. And so to make sure that the gods didn't have to pollute themselves by having to deal with these human slaves that were made from the blood of the dead rebel lover god, Marduk ordained that some people were to be rulers and priests in that culture. And they would bear the images of the gods. So, basically, according to this worldview, there were two kinds of people in Babylon. If you were in the Babylonian culture, there are two kinds of people. Those who represented the images of God on earth, the elite few, who when they look in the mirror, they see God, and then the majority of everybody else who when they look, what they see is a nobody, an insignificant, expendable slave of the gods. That's the Babylonian worldview. Now imagine this, the people of Israel, because here's where the storyline in the Bible takes us, the people of Israel were exiled and taken into captivity, guess where, Babylon. They came to formation in Egypt, polytheistic view, monotheistic God, and now they're in exile in Babylon, (laughs) where now they are exiled, conquered, dejected, bottom of the heap, they are less than nobodies, and they are being considered the slaves of the slave labor class in Babylon. They're in exile. They've been reduced to less than persons. They've been stripped of their culture, stripped of their power, of their identity. Let me ask you this question. What storyline did they live out of? What story did they tell themselves? What lens were they looking through? Some scholars say it was during the time of exile that the traditions of Moses, the stories that had been handed down and told and retold and told and retold for centuries, were finally given their written form during the exile. Now, if that's what happened, it's not hard to see why. Because how different the story that the one true and living God had told them about who they are and where they are and how they move forward in life than what they were being force-fed at the time by the Babylonians who had a very different story. Now, why am I telling you this? Because everybody's got a story. You do. There's a storyline that you're telling yourself right now that helps you make sense out of Life. It's a worldview. It's about who you are, where you are, and how you're going to be moving forward in life. Now, probably it's not the Babylonian story, right? (laughs) Probably it's not the Egyptian story that everybody back then was telling. But in Western civilization, you know, polytheism just isn't our thing. We're more into pluralism. Pluralism. So that means we don't tell stories of gods that are ripping their rivals apart. Um, or we don't worship bugs. But in our culture, we do have storylines that kind of tell us, that we tell ourselves to try to make sense out of life. One of them is the American dream. Kind of helps a lot of people know who they are and where they are and how they're going to make it through life. Another one is this, the belief that in the infinite progress and success of technology, that You hardly hear people even mention those things, but it's like we're fish in that water and everybody's swimming in it. And so everybody thinks that everybody holds to these worldviews and, and they kind of give definition to who we are and where we are and where we're going in life. But in our culture, we have storylines that help us try to make sense out of it. And so what we're going to do in this series is explore some of the most basic of those storylines, worldviews that people in our culture tell themselves and try to tell other people. And then we're going to contrast those worldviews with what we learned from Genesis chapters 1 through 12. And then from Jesus, as he concludes the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon he ever preached, Matthew chapter 7. You know, Jesus told his followers, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, as soon as I say that, I'm already thinking, well, somebody's gonna get snagged on that. Like, whose truth? And why does your truth have to be my truth? Because that's how we think about truth in our worldview today. In fact, there is a worldview that says that what we call truth in reality is is simply a social construct that is designed by people in power in order to keep their power you know what that is? That's a worldview. That's a way people try to make sense out of what's going on around them. And actually that worldview can be tracked back to a guy named Nietzsche in the 19th century. And now it's like so mainstream that everybody knows without even thinking that that's what we're talking about. But its viewpoint, what it claims is that the people are the ultimate source of truth. That truth is what people make what people define, that truth is self-made. Now, I'm not asking you if you agree or disagree with that. I'm just simply inviting you to see how different from the story of Genesis 1. It starts at a totally different place. It starts with God. That God is the ultimate source of what is most real. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens. The cosmos, the billions of galaxies strong, and the earth, this rare garden planet that we call home. Now that statement all by itself is a standout from almost every other world view that you can imagine. It was in its day and it is in our day too. And if we unpack that claim in Genesis chapter 1, we learn that this God is very different from the other the other gods, of Egyptians, of the Babylonians, the 300 million gods of the hebrew I mean of the Hindus, even today, all the other polytheistic God claims, including New Age claims that now are saying, you are God, you're a goddess, you're a God. Declare it. Why? But they're trying to help me know who I am, where I am, and how I'm supposed to make my way through life. That's called a worldview. And it's very different from where the Bible starts. What are the first claims of Genesis 1? Well, the very first of them is about God's power. In the beginning, God created all that is. The God of the Bible pre-exists the universe. It wouldn't be here without him. That's what it says. And the earth. God is most powerful. Of all that we call real, what the very first verse says that God is transcendent He is above. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is the source of life, creator and creative, sustaining power and reality behind everything we call most real. He came before. He is behind all that we experience in life. God is the ultimate free agent. Self-existent before and beyond time and space. All of that in one verse. It's right there. And, and then, in the power of his art, because that's where the rest of the chapter goes, we see the personality of the artist. The beauty, the order, the wonder of the cosmos, the world, the plants, the animals, the people, everyone, everything in it all testify to God's personhood. So, God isn't only most powerful, he's also personal. This is very different from other creation stories. All-powerful God chose to create something he didn't have to he chose to and we'll get deeper into this next in the next couple of weeks but today all i want us to see is that being itself being human beings <laughs> have at the source of their being according to this storyline because we are persons that we were made by a powerful and personal God. We were made after God's likeness. And one of the first, one of the things that this means in the Christian theism worldview is that God is self conscious, self aware, and self determining. And that's where our sense of self came from. God isn't simply an abstract power or a math at work or a force created by. Or, yeah, created by life itself that holds all of the uh, galaxy together. God is distinct and separate from his creation. God exists in, uh, in community, and he desires deep communion with people personally. That's Genesis chapter 1. Whether it's uh, soulfully, spiritually, this is why community matters so much to us, because we're made in God's image. It tells us who we are and where we are and how we're moving forward in the world that he has given us let us make mankind in our image genesis 1:26 our likeness our image in the plural form our can denote majesty but also community so what we learn in genesis chapter 1 is that god exists as a community of oneness Now, in the New Testament, we've learned much later that we can call that the Trinity, that the expression of God's personhood helps us know Him as Father, Son, and Spirit. But Genesis 1 basically tells us God is powerful, God is personal. Third, God is purposeful. History is going somewhere, it had a beginning and it has a goal. God brought order from chaos, God brought uh, light to the darkness. And then God brought productivity, fruitfulness from a virgin planet that he wanted harvested and developed. And God's intentionality in creating and in creating us in his image gives us purpose, gives us meaning in life. And then the fourth reality is this. God is good. This God of Genesis chapter 1 is not capricious, not arbitrary, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't hold petty jealousies like the ancient god stories tell or like the Roman gods or the Greek gods. You know, the people of Israel were formed under Egyptian polytheism and the church was born in Roman and Greek polytheism. Interesting, huh? Different storylines that are trying to help define who people were and where they're going. But this God is good. In fact, as he does his work, he's, wow, this is good, he says, repeatedly, right? God saw that it was good. God saw that it was good. And then he makes human beings, male and female, in his image and says, now that is very good. You know what that's called? Moral valuation, Where is it that we come to our appreciation of what's right and what's good versus what's wrong and what's bad? Well, this storyline says you were made by a God who has a moral heart for community and wants to bless you with what's right. That was very good. God gives humans freedom, choice, Moral accountability, the capacity to do life with moral valuation, which means we can say this is better than that, and that is better than that, but that is best of all. came from God. We'll get to that more in a few weeks, but for now, do these words sound familiar? We hold these truths to be self-evident. That means they need no further validation. That all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, when Thomas Jefferson wrote the word happiness in the Declaration of Independence, do you know what that word meant in the culture of its day? It meant virtuous, morally upright life. So, all were created, according to what Jefferson wrote, and endowed by their creator, with the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of virtue, that's a moral valuation, that brings value to life. And where do those words grow from? The Genesis 1 worldview. A powerful creator, a personal rights giver, for the purpose of pursuing value. Even today, the oath of citizenship or the oath of office, even for the president of the United States, you say these words, so help me God. Now, saying them is not the same as meaning them. We all know that. But the ideology that gave birth to the United States has its roots in the worldview of Genesis 1, the biblical worldview. Now, I don't, I'm not inviting you to agree or disagree with that. I hope if you snag on that that you'll h- hang in the conversation. Let's get into it. Let's talk about it. Let's engage our minds together. But the biblical worldview says this. God made humans in God's image as people of worth, value, creativity, responsibility, will, freedom, accountability, as an act of love for community and the creation as God's good gift is where the story starts. Now, what we're going to see is that it takes a dramatic turn downward and without intervention, we won't recover from it. But fast forward to the New Testament and what you learn is that our powerful, personal, purposeful, and good God who loves us has come in person with power for us in Christ. And in the same way, that he was pleased to give life and creation to us apart from our works. God offers new life and salvation to us apart from our works. John chapter 1, 12, if we receive it, to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, that means are entering into his storyline. You're accepting what he's bringing you into. He gave you the right He's a rights-giving, personal, powerful God. To what? To become children of God. Who you are, where you are, and where you're going. So Jesus closes his greatest sermon of all time, Matthew chapter 7. He notes in life that every one of us faces choices. We've got options that are before us all the time. And some are so significant because they are telling us who we are, where we are, and how we're going to move forward in life. And some of those, he said, are so significant because they will prove worthy of your choice and will stand the test of time and eternity. But many, many, many will not. Here's how Jesus said it. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, my shorthand for that is your choices matter. Our choices matter. Every choice we make matters. Your choices are so important because they help you know who you are, where you are, and how you're going to get from here forward in life. So all I'm doing today is inviting you into the conversation. I hope you haven't immediately shut me down. The reason I'm starting with words like that is because I know we have many people who are believers who have fully embraced the biblical Christian worldview that Jesus taught us, that we learned from Genesis 1, but we also have many that are checking us out that are in the midst of these questions about how do you know and how can I evaluate and what could my next step be? Some of them are very close loved ones and friends to many of us. And I simply would like to invite you to join me in the conversation for the next several weeks. If you have questions, if you have doubts, then bring them. Put them in the chat room. Send them ahead of time. Give us a chance to respond to those questions and engage. And, um, but I'm going to tell you in advance, it's kind of messy. <laughs> it's not one of those things where you can just tie a clean little neat bow in it and say you're done. It's a conversation that involves us into greater understanding and identifying and asking yourself, why do you believe that? And how does it live? And ultimately, who does it make me to be? Very different stories that are all asking us to let them make that decision for us. Now, if you're looking for something else very practical to do besides come back, join the conversation, bring your questions, why don't you just sit with Genesis chapter 1 this week and read it several times? Or maybe do what I do, use the Christ Journey app and get on you version that has those different audio Bibles, and I've got five different that I can listen to in a matter of ten minutes. One chapter repeated in different translations just to give me a sense. Or just listen to one of them, pick one of them, the New Living Translation and read the Bible for yourself, chapter one, and then listen to that for yourself, and then write down any questions that come to mind or anything that really has spoken to you in that, and let's engage the conversation. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, our creator, our sustainer, our redeemer, our father, we thank you for the gift of truth and the ability to evaluate it, and to make decisions that matter. And I'm praying for somebody right now who's got some big stuff that's on their shoulders. I don't know if it's about their business or about their marriage or about their future. What is it? But right now, we're praying that your wisdom, your spirit would bring truth that could bring freedom and help lift that burden from them. Would you shine your light in a way that will show them the next step to take. And thank you for the many who have studied and given their best thinking to these very issues so that we might join the conversation. Even though it's not where we normally sit, we are learning how to love you with all of our mind and we pray that you would give us skills to do that. I also pray, Father, today for somebody who's checking us out who senses they would like to know more. They would like to join the conversation. And if that's you, and you'd, can I tell you that Jesus wants you to do that? But that he would like to join you in it from the inside out. And you can welcome him into your spirit, into your mind, into your soul right now to speak his love and bring his truth and guide your thinking you can do it simply by saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Help me. I believe you're seeking me. I believe you love me. I believe you can forgive me, and I invite you to fill me with your life as I turn to you right now. And Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayer as we make it in your name. Amen.